define the word, what, what does it mean? I want to describe some of the symbolism involved in baptism and then talk about why it's become such a mystical and even emotional subject for so many people. Um, as I've been, I, our church is about six years old. I think we celebrate six years this upcoming, or in February, and so we're, we're somewhere in that range. And since we've started, like I've had many people who, when we, when we have a baptism, people come out of the woodworks for baptism for some reason. It has this emotional um, uh, connection for so many people and to where people will come back to church because we're doing a baptism and they want to they have someone baptized or they want to be a part of that. And so there is a real uh, emotional side to this that I'd like to address and really talk about defining why that is and, and just... And if you're wondering, are we actually going to talk about baptism for a whole message? Yep, we are. We're going to talk about that this morning. It really comes up in the passage we've been looking at. So we're in the middle of this message series called The Blueprint. We began last week. We're looking at Jesus' blueprint for how life is to, is to work for us. He's given some assignments for us to build a life upon. He's also instructed the church, churches, on how to uh, set direction and what to put our, our agenda. And so this morning's message, we're looking at Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, and in those verses, what you find is a passage called uh, the Great Commission. We call this the Great Commission. We began unpacking this uh, two verses last week by looking at the first part, which I'm bringing up here on the screen. You should have a listening guide, and you can follow along this way or that way or in your Bible if you brought one. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We looked last week at this first phrase, go therefore and make disciples of all of all nations. That make disciples is the central command to this verse. A lot of different, um, you know, there's a lot to this verse, and so you could give focus to all sorts of of parts of this verse, all sorts of words, but the word that, or the idea that needs to get our uh, attention and focus is make disciples. So I, I would encourage you to circle that once again. That's the central command. That is the verb of this uh, sentence, these two sentences. Make disciples. Now, it looks like you're looking at it in English and you think, well, no, there's a verb, go, there's make, there's, you know, baptizing. It looks like there's other verbs, but I want to actually kind of give you a little bit of the uh, Greek wording here so you can understand why make disciples is the, the focus of this verse. And it's the centerpiece of church life. It's the centerpiece. Making disciples is why we exist. Um, it's kind of like if you have a table in your dining room and you have a nice plant and that's the centerpiece or you have some other piece of art that as the center, it draws your attention there, your focus goes there. In church life, it's the same way. Or for us as individuals, it's the same way. Whatever we build around, you know, that really sets direction for our life. All sorts of other activities could take center stage for us, uh, but making disciples is what we're all about. This is why we exist as a church. If a church allows other things to take center stage instead of making disciples, um, then they just assume, oh, that will happen. Oh, we'll get around to that. It'll just naturally happen, making disciples. But the truth is, it doesn't. And churches who fail to um, keep this as the centerpiece eventually fail to exist over time if they're not making disciples. Now, this is the, this is the, the main charge that Jesus gave his followers just before he ascended into heaven. Go and make disciples. Here's the rest of the verse. It says this, baptizing them, them is who? The disciples, that's right. Go and make disciples. So once you have a disciple, then you go and you baptize them, it says, in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them, so we're looking at baptism this week, but next week we'll look at this other verse, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, which is, that's a huge statement Jesus just makes. Teach the new disciples to observe, actually obey everything he's commanded. And then he says this, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so he gives this great commission. And these two verses have, like I said, one central command, it's make disciples, and then three Greek participles. And Greek has been called a participle loving language. The Greeks loved their participles. A lot of times we read a participle in English and it's just like the word baptizing, that's a participle. The indication sometimes is ing. Baptizing, uh, teaching, you see that on there. There's another participle that baptizing, teaching, those are two of the participles. The word go up at the top is actually a participle. For us it just looks like a verb, but in the Greek it's actually a participle. It should really read as you're going or going therefore make disciples. It's a participle functions as a verbal adjective. It actually modifies oftentimes the words around them. In this case, these three participles, going, baptizing, and teaching, they function as signs or markers that tell us whether or not the central command is actually happening. If making disciples is, is occurring in a church, then people are going. They're not, leaving. They're not staying in a private place in their own home. They're not hunkering down and just being about their own life and their own family. But they're going. They're crossing the street. They're crossing town. They're, they're actively engaging with people who um, do not yet claim to be a disciple or who maybe who've never even heard about Jesus. And so they're going to be part of people's lives. They may even go across the country or across an ocean. But they're going. That's one of the signs or the markers that this command is actually happening. People are going. Secondly, they're baptizing. You baptize the new disciples. Now, we can't make disciples without first going. We have to leave. We also, you know, we can't just say we're going to be all about, you know, making disciples, but we'll leave out these other things of baptizing and teaching. Really, all of these things are important. But the central command, it is to make disciples. On the flip side, you can actually latch on. I, I mentioned this last week, but I'll say it again. You can latch on and attach your life to one of those participles, those words going, teaching, baptizing, and make that the focus of your life. But then you you miss the command that Jesus gave, which is ultimately to make disciples. All of this activity, baptizing, teaching, going, it is in order to, you know, and attached to making disciples. So this morning we're looking at this second part of the verse, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is an important step of obedience that we call baptism. And the Greek word, Here's the Greek word. It's baptizo. It literally means to dip or to dip under or to sink or to wash. It has the idea, if you're talking wash, it's not just like uh, you're, you're sprinkling something on it to wash. You're actually submersing it to wash it. But most often it just means to dip, to dip under, to sink. It has um, very clear uses. It's a very common word, this word baptizo. It you actually get wet. If you've, if you've been baptized, you get wet as you're fully immersed in water. Here's a few pictures from some of our baptisms from last, uh, one of the last baptisms we did. I think this was not the last one, but the one before it. This is from one of the ladies from our church, Tatiana. She was baptized. She goes under the water. She comes up out of the water. She's completely drenched. And I, I warned her. I said, hey, I've got a, I've got a photo today that I'm going to use. And so just so you know, and she was okay with it. She has a great attitude always anyway. And so 
But, you know, you just get this picture of her being baptized. She comes out drenched. I'm going to talk about how, what's the symbolism of this experience? Here's another picture of uh, a child. It's actually my son being baptized, my middle son. It's easy to baptize kids because they're so tiny. It's usually just their head above the water, and you're just like, all right. <laughs> There's not much to it. It's over in like a split second, you know. And with him, he, I think I almost had, I feel like I almost had to hold him up because he would have probably blown under just stepping into the, into the little pool. But, you know, he's being baptized. Here's another picture of a, of a man named Bobby who was baptized in 2012 as well. Fully immersed. Dipped under. Now, this was a pretty common Greek word that could mean a variety of things. Like I said, bring up the word again. It says to dunk, to dip, to dip under, to sink, to immerse. It was used to describe some different things. It was used to describe this word in Greek literature was used to describe a ship that was sunk in battle. It was baptizoed. Okay, it was sunk. Or it was used to describe a piece of cloth that was dipped into a dye. It was baptizoed. It was dunked under. It was dipped under fully. Before the time of Jesus, there was a poet and a physician named Candor, and he wrote a recipe for making pickles, and they found his recipe. And historians have disclosed his recipe to all of us, and here's what he said about making pickles. He said, in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should be dipped in boiling water. And the Greek word that he used was baptizod. It was to dip under. This is just a common Greek average word. But since the writing of the New Testament, the practices and the methodology of baptism has varied greatly across the Christian church. And so this idea of dipping underwater has morphed in all sorts of other things. And so what we try to do as a church, we want to get as close to Scripture as possible. We want to do what we find in Scripture. We want to, if we see Jesus doing it, we want to do what he did. Or we, if, if it's commanded, we want to do what it says. We want to line up with the Scripture. Scripture for us trumps everything. In some places, the church actually trumps Scripture. But for us, we submit ourselves to the Scripture. We conform our agenda to what the Scripture says. And so, all but one occurrence in the New Testament where the word baptizo is used is translated baptize. We just read verses where in the Greek it says baptizo. We, we read in the English baptize or baptized or baptizing different forms of the verb. What they did was they just transliterated the Greek into this English word now that we, we know as baptize. But, th- but that word baptize, it would have been so much easier if they just had said what it was rather than just transliterate. When you transliterate something, you take the, the language like Greek and you just translate it how it would sound in English. So they just took the sound of that word and they made it an English word. But see, for us as as Englishikans, as Americans, as English thinkers, we don't know what that means. What is baptize? It means different things for us. So for us, it's clear we need to understand what that word meant. It meant to dip, to dip under. There's one place in the scripture where the word baptizo shows up, and it's not translated baptized, it's actually translated wash. It's found in Luke chapter 11 where Jesus is reclining at a table and someone was asking him why he had not washed. They're talking about a ceremonial washing. But apart from that one occurrence, all over the New Testament just reads baptized, baptizing, baptized. And so what that has done is it's caused all sorts of confusion because now baptism has morphed into something mystical. 
But back then it was just this common Greek word meaning to dip. If you go back to the Nacho Libre clip, you can see what I'm talking about. There was this emotional attachment that Nacho thought this was somehow going to provide some spiritual strength and power so they'd be victorious against the wrestling tag team Satan's cavemen or whoever they were going against. And so they needed to prepare to wrestle Satan's cavemen. Why not get some extra strength spiritually? And so he says, let's baptize you against his will. But, you know, honestly, that oftentimes is the case. Baptism has morphed into, into the will of parents, not always the will of the child. And so there's a lot of different things that has transpired. Our desire, though, is to do what we see in the Bible. Every baptism that we see in the Bible was done through immersion, was done through this dipping. I'm not trying to down other people's faith experiences. I'm really not. But it's my firm belief that the Bible needs to trump everything else. And so we want to line up. We conform to it, not the other way around. So I want to kind of turn a corner here. Let's shift gears. In baptism, here's what happens. You go public with your faith in Christ. That's what occurs in baptism. If you're like most people, you're probably pretty concerned about what you're willing to do in public, aren't you? You you want to dress a certain way in public. There's certain things you just won't be seen doing in public. And there's certain people that you probably don't want to be seen with in public. And I don't know if that's true for you, but I know for me, I I have some sad stories where this came came about. My, My dad, he drove a white station wagon when I was in high school, and we were given cars often from my uncle, who was a very wealthy uncle. He would give us his cars. And so whenever my uncle got rid of something or tired of a computer or a car, we would get something. And, and so my uncle gave my father a white station wagon, huge Ford, like a wrecking machine. I crashed the car one time in this thing, nothing wrong. Like, devastated this other car, you know, but they were okay. So, but, like, this huge car would have been okay if it was just white, but... It said on the side of it, Prolon Turf Care, and it had three neon green and different shades of green stripes along the whole thing. And me and my sister, we see my dad pull this thing up, and he's so excited, and we're just like, uh, because we know what that means. We'll be to be driving, driven to school in this car. And now this is lame, and I realize that that's petty, and, and, and I'm about to talk about that, but... My sister and I, in high school at that point, we go out there with razor blades and we start scraping off the prolon. And we got the stickers off, we got the lettering off. We get to the stripes and they won't come off. I'm like, no, why? So we're stuck with this neon green stripes around the car driving to high school. And I'm, I, you know, I make up some lie about, hey, Dad, can you drop me off on the corner? Because I'm going to meet some friends. We're going to walk the last eighth of a mile together, you know, but really what it is, I was embarrassed. I didn't want to be seen in this car. It wasn't cool. And so I would do this. I'd make up some reason. And now I could see how vain I was acting. And I didn't at all consider at the time how that probably made my dad feel. Because what I was saying was, I'm ashamed to be in this car. I'm ashamed to be seen with you. Now, this is an issue when it relates to baptism, being ashamed, being willing to identify with all the time, teenagers are embarrassed to be seen with their, with their parents. I know this is coming for me in my life with a 10-year-old, 7-year-old, 3-year-old. I mean, pretty soon it's like this issue is probably going to come up, and I'm going to struggle with that issue from the other side of things. Maybe the Lord will repay some of what I did. Or maybe if you, if you're, if you have siblings and seeing your incoming freshman brother or sister come on campus, whether it's high school or college, and they're like, 
hey, Josh. And you're like, oh, hey. Eh. You know, but this happens all the time. People also date. People date someone privately. They have a relationship. We call it friends with benefits. But then when you're in public, they don't identify that they know you. They're not willing to go public with the relationship. That hurts people. And if you've ever been rejected by someone, then you know just how it feels when someone is embarrassed by you. It hurts us at a deep level, doesn't it? I've had to clear up things as God shows me. Man, that was you were ashamed. That was lame. Go clear that up. And as we recognize how, how that impacts others and how that makes people feel, the baptism, what it is, is it's a way to unashamedly acknowledge the new relationship that we have formed with, with God, with His Son, Jesus, before other people. Whenever you decide to give your life to follow Jesus Christ, we have a new Father, God Himself, and, we, and Jesus, He makes this possible. He calls us His brothers and sisters. Baptism is, therefore, the way that we identify with God's family. This is us going public. This is us declaring to others that we are Christians and Christ followers. Look at this verse in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. It says, God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. He's talking about how God chose to open up his family, his heavenly family. He chose to open it up through his son. And it says, it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, through the suffering of the cross, a perfect leader fit to bring them into their salvation. See, the cross is what provides the forgiveness of sin, and it allows us to be part of God's family. It's the cross that bridges that gap. Verse 11, so now Jesus and the ones that he makes holy, that's those of us who are in Christ, we have the same father. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and his sisters. So what Jesus did is he, he bought and he paid for our admission into God's family. He wasn't ashamed to identify with us. Instead, in a spiritual sense, he said, they're with me. They belong to me. They're connected to me. There was no shame there. So then baptism, what it is, it's a celebration of what Jesus has done to bring us into God's family. It's a party. It's this celebration. And, it, and in fact, it's a, it's a brief drama depicting what Christ has done for us. If you've ever seen a play or a drama, that's really what occurs in baptisms. Because it's, there's a symbolism there. Look at what Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 reads. Paul writes to the church, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now this is the word baptizo again. We were buried therefore with him by baptism, baptizo, into death. It's a picture of a spiritual reality. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there's this drama being enacted. You're standing there in the Baptist in the Baptist tree or the pool or wherever you're going to be baptized. And it's symbolism of the old man, the old me. Dead in my sins, guilty before God, condemned, needing forgiveness. And then as I'm dipped under the water, it's a picture of it's been paid for. Christ died for me. I'm identifying with him in death, in burial. And then I'm being raised to walk in a new life. Paul's saying this is a huge picture. And a movie, when we go to the movies, it's, it's like it's something that's dramatized where you go to a good movie, you get sucked into the experience. If you go to a good movie with friends, it's fun to experience a good movie together. And sometimes you get so pulled into the experience because it really matches up with reality or something that's important in your own life. And so you don't want to miss anything of it. You might be hungry, you want more popcorn, or you might need to go to the restroom, but you're thinking, I can't miss this because this is, 
It's pulled me in. I don't want to miss a moment of this. In a similar way, this is the role that baptism plays in the life of the church. The person who's being acted out is, or who's being baptized is acting out the drama that represents what Christ has done for them. Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised to new life. So that person who's being baptized, they're just acting it out for us. This is what happens spiritually to us. And then to everybody who's watching a baptism, they're celebrating and being reminded of what Christ has done for us. And it's, it's kind of a celebration as a family. It's a meaningful thing to all who are involved. It connects us also to one another. Every time we have a baptism, I think it's a connection for people. Because they're, they're experiencing, wow, he's part of the family. She's part of the family. It's, let's celebrate together. It, it kind of connects people in, in, in this very uh, unusual and you know, just a different way. But it's a personal declaration. You're making a huge statement through baptism. And that's in your outline. It's a personal de- declaration. You've probably heard of a family insurance policy. If you have a family policy, if one of the parents is covered, then the rest of the family is covered with that policy. Following Christ is not like that. Following Christ is different than a family insurance policy in that there's no family plan when it comes to following Christ and receiving eternal life. Every single person has to make a decision to follow Jesus individually. You're not covering your kids just because you're a Christian. They're not covered by your, by your choices. And so at, at our church, at OCC, we only baptize adults or children who are old enough to make the decision to follow Christ themselves. We want to make sure that those who we're baptizing actually have chosen to follow Christ. They've made this decision for themselves. And now they're declaring this huge personal decision. Now, this was the pattern in the early church. When you read through the book of Acts and you read about the baptisms, book of Acts is the history of the Christian church, you see this pattern. People would be believers, they would choose to believe, and then they would be baptized. So look at some of these verses, Acts 2.41. People responding to this huge message that Peter delivers. says, so those who received his word were baptized. See, they became disciples, then they were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. For those 3,000 people, this was a major declaration that they were now followers of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. They weren't ashamed to identify with him. They were willing to go public with that. Two other verses show baptism. Another, as an early step of, of believing, look at Acts 8.12. This is from a man named Philip and his ministry. But when they believed Philip, he was sharing the good news. As he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. On another occasion, Philip was sharing with an Ethiopian, a foreigner who was a court official of the Queen of Ethiopia, who was trying to get clarity on what some of the Old Testament verses met, meant. And Philip explained and connected the Old Testament to Jesus and what Jesus had done. And this man gave his life to Christ. And then it says this. He, he, you know, he chose to become a, dis- a disciple of Jesus. And then verse 38 he said, it says, he commanded the chariot to stop. This is that man, the Ethiopian court official. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Baptism, again, it was the declaration that people took. It was in obedience to the Great Commission, where Jesus said, hey, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, then baptize them. All this is, is they're just obeying what Jesus told them to do. The early church, they just obeyed. That's what we want to do. We want to obey what Jesus told us to do. Now, many of these people who were responding to 
Jesus and being baptized in the book of Acts were coming from beliefs in all sorts of other things. Many of them believed in multiple gods. Many of them believed in Roman gods, Greek gods. Some of them just different foreign gods. And what they were doing is in baptism, they were declaring personally that they were now Christians, that Jesus was Lord over them. This was a huge thing because it may have been a huge spiritual break from family or from culture, but this was their declaration they were making. Baptism is not a condition for salvation. Some people have taught that, that baptism is necessary, but it's actually it's not necessary for salvation. It's, 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 it's a separate thing. You're saved not through that work of baptism. You're first saved because you yield your life to Jesus Christ. You invite him to come to forgive you of your sins. You recognize you're broken and separated from God apart from that. You receive his death on the cross, his forgiveness of your sins, and then you transfer ownership of your life to him and say, you lead my life from this point forward. And then you take the step of baptism. It's not to earn God's forgiveness. It's just evidence that you've actually received God's forgiveness and his salvation. It's what we do out of obedience because we've been forgiven so much. We're not ashamed to identify publicly. While following Christ, is, it's a personal thing. Jesus made it clear that it's not to be a private thing. And so baptism is a way that we openly identify. It's a public announcement. We do it out in the open. Jesus said this in Matthew 10:32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men... I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying that if we really died to ourselves and have trusted Christ to lead us through life, we're not going to be embarrassed to declare our connection to him. When someone has a baby, anytime there's a baby, you know, we, we want to tell people about it. Oftentimes people send out birth announcements. Have you ever received a birth announcement in the mail? You get a picture of this new baby. You know, it usually has a great picture of a baby tells you their name and their weight and when they were delivered and all of that. We do this because a new life coming into this world, man, that's a big deal, isn't it? A new life is a big deal. Well, baptism, it's our announcement that we've become followers of Christ and he's given us new life in him. And so it's a big deal to, to announce this, to celebrate with others. But it's also a little bit humbling. It's meaningful, but it's a little humbling because we get wet, our hair gets messed up. Get water in the face. Everyone's watching us. And so for that reason, a lot of people shy away from baptism. I don't want to do that. Also, you don't do it to yourself. You don't walk into the baptistry and then just dunk yourself. Someone baptizes you. What that does is it challenges our native pride that we can be self-sufficient, that I don't need anyone else. But instead, it's being done to us. And it's done publicly because following Christ is personal, but it's not private. And so it's meant to be lived out in the open. And what baptism tends to do is it provides a spiritual forecast of our walk with God. It, it tells a great deal about what is to come. Oftentimes, if a person's resistant to baptism, they're going to be resistant with all sorts of other things in the future. Not always, but it tends to be a spiritual forecast of our walk with God. 1 John 2, 3 says, And by this we have come to know him if we keep his commands, commandments. It's a simple ceremony. It's over in just a few seconds, but it tends to set the pace for the rest of a person's walk with God, our obedience to take this step of baptism. And what it does is it can separate the fans from the followers who are willing to take action and just obey when he asks. Because when we say yes to baptism, 
When we come to something else that's hard, we say, man, that's hard, but I'm going to say yes. I'm in this pattern of saying yes. Because part of the Great Commission is, make, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the third part is teaching them to observe or obey everything that I have commanded. So baptism sets us up to start saying yes to everything that he commands us to do. Because as you walk in the Christian life, you're going to find all sorts of things that are going to challenge you at the core. The Lord seems to just find our pressure points in life, and he exposes those, and he shows us his word and challenges us in areas. You know, our willingness to say yes in this area translates into, um, really, I think, strength and obedience to say yes in the future. No matter where you're at in your relationship with Christ, identifying with Christ is a key step to keep taking along the journey. If you've never been baptized, I would encourage you, take that step. Identify with Christ. We, we're planning to have a baptism this fall, and so you know, I'd encourage you to just make, make a decision. I need to go public with this. You know, that's a great opportunity to identify. You can invite friends. You can invite family. It's just something for us to celebrate as a congregation. But if you've already been baptized, then I want to encourage you. The key word when it comes to baptism is the word identify. I'm identifying with Christ. We can identify with Christ every single day. If you've been baptized years ago, 10, 20 years ago, last year, you can identify this week with Christ among your coworkers. You can do that. As you're interacting with people, you can just identify that you're a Christ follower. You don't have to be an annoying in the way that you do it. There's ways that we can do this, that we can keep identifying, just going public, saying, I'm in God's family, a follower of Christ. I'd like to invite the worship team to come back up, and, and I want to ask you to think through your next steps. As the worship team kind of comes up here, they're going to be uh, leading us in a final song. The ushers are going to prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offering. I'd ask you to take out that connection card. And you finish completing that. And take a look at some of the next steps that are on the back of that connection card. And consider taking one of these next steps. <clears throat> if you've never been baptized, then get baptized at the next baptism. Or second, for the first time, if you've never yet become a disciple of Jesus... If that's your decision and you're at that point where you're ready to do that, you know, check that box. We'll follow up with you. Or if you want to talk to someone about that, come and visit our uh, guest information table and talk with one of our staff members after service. We'd love to just have a conversation, not to put pressure on you to make a decision because it's your decision. You have to decide. But if you've never done that, I'd encourage you to take that step. Or then last, pray for an opportunity to identify with Christ this week. How can I go public this week? If I've already been baptized, maybe I need to really think through the through what I'm communicating to my coworkers or through what I'm communicating to my neighbors, people I live near. I know many of you are students and CVU students are back and one of the things to consider is have I identified with Christ? You know, people are, you're in the early stages of sorting your friends and where you're going to invest your time. I'd encourage you to consider this area of identifying with Christ early on. That's important. The people you run with, they tend to set the direction for your life. So you want to pick good friends because Proverbs 13.20 tells us, Walk with the wise and you will grow wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. And so I'd be strategic in the people that you connect with and relate closely to as you're starting out in this school year. I encourage you to take a step this week. Let's go to the Lord as we pray. Father, thank you for this time as we've looked into your word and just tried to take direction from you. 
we, we recognize that this area of baptism really has taken on a life of its own as the, the world and even the church at points has tried to define it, to redefine it. And I, I pray, God, that you'd help us to just stay close to what you say in the Scripture. Help us to build on what you say. God, even on the challenging stuff, would help us to be a people and a church who's willing to take steps of faith in obedience to what you've commanded. Lord, for all those that are here that have not yet decided to follow you, maybe they're right on the edge of that decision, I pray that you would continue to draw them to yourself. Lord, help them to recognize their, their deep need to know you. Help them to recognize the separation that exists between them and you because of sin and its effect on our lives. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do your work of drawing them into a real relationship with you. It would begin soon and then that they would be able to walk with you or relate to you all their lives. Just thank you for what you're doing in all of our lives. I ask you to strengthen us for the week ahead, for the challenges we're facing, for the relationships that may need to be sorted out, for the decisions that are approaching. Lord, give us wisdom and clarity from your word through your spirit. I pray for our offering right now as we receive it. I just ask that you continue to use our church here and our church family. Thank you for those that continue to give so faithfully. I pray that you would just continue to move in our hearts. Help us to be obedient in our giving and our generosity, Lord. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go ahead and receive this morning's offering. And so drop, would you drop that connection card?